Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Evening, everyone. If you don't know me, my name is Rosie, and I help lead this evening service with my husband, Connor. And this evening, we're going to make a start on a brand new series called The Path of Discipleship. We're going to be looking over the next few weeks at, quite simply, how we can become more like Jesus in how we live our lives and how we are as people. And I'm so, so excited to get into this series. I think there's going to be just loads of practical help and wisdom for all of us in learning what it means to be true disciples of Jesus. So just before we start, I'm just going to pray. Why don't you just close your eyes and we'll just invite the Holy Spirit. Yeah, Lord God, we just pray that you come and speak to us right now. Would you give us ears to hear and eyes to see what it is that you want to say to us and what it is that you're doing in our lives this evening, God. Amen. So there are three short passages that we're going to be focusing on tonight. And there is a theme that runs throughout all three of them, and it's very simply the idea of following. So what does it really mean to be a follower of somebody? We're not thinking here along the lines of Instagram follower or even like a stalker of someone, but actually the English word apprentice is probably the word that best describes what it means to be a follower of Jesus. So we're going to look now at these three passages in which we see Jesus inviting people to go and follow him. So firstly, we're going to read from Mark Chapter 1, verses 16 to 18. It says, As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And the next passage we're going to read comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 13 to 14, which says, Once again Jesus went out beside the lake, A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. And then finally, if you flick a little bit further on in Mark into chapter 8, verse 34, it says, Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. I wonder, have you ever had a tutor for a particular subject at school that maybe you were struggling with? You'd hire a tutor, basically in order to learn everything you could for uh, for the exam from them. Um, And back in Jesus' day, many people would become an apprentice of a rabbi. And so a rabbi was just a Jewish word for a great teacher. So this phrase, fishers of men, that we see in our first passage, um, was a well-known Hebrew idiom for a great teacher. So Jesus was saying here, you guys are fishermen, Come and follow me, and I'll make you into great teachers. And this was really the heart and soul of apprenticeship back in Jesus' time. There were three main things that you had to do if you were an apprentice. Firstly, you had to be with your rabbi. Secondly, you had to be like your rabbi. And then finally, you had to do what your rabbi did. And so we're going to dive into what it looks like for us to be apprentices of Jesus in modern times. Because to be a true disciple of Jesus means so much more than just going along to church 
um, or being part of a Christian union or having Christian friends or putting in your Instagram bio, apprentice of Jesus, please do not do this. Um, today we're going to see that to be a true apprentice of Jesus, we need to be with Jesus, we need to become like Jesus, and finally we need to do what Jesus did. I don't know if anyone here has ever experienced living in very close proximity with someone over a period of time. Many of us might remember this from the lockdowns. And you start to notice how you begin to gel into who that person is. You learn what makes them laugh. You begin to understand the way they work, what foods they like to eat, what music they like to listen to. And eventually you feel like you know what they're going to say next. I remember once during the lockdown, whilst I was living with Beth, um, we came downstairs once, both literally wearing the same outfit. And so when you're close to someone, this can sometimes happen. You start to act like them, and sometimes you even begin to look like them. I didn't have curly hair before lockdown. Um, But back in Jesus' time, being an apprentice of a rabbi meant you kind of wanted to attain that same level of proximity to your rabbi. You wanted to be close and morph into that teacher. Our culture nowadays says, be whoever you want to be, stay true to yourself, look out for number one, because you're the most important person. But back in Jesus' day, it wasn't like that at all. Your goal was to become the carbon copy of your rabbi. You'd follow him round, copy his every move. You'd imitate the tone of his voice, his mannerisms, what he wore. You wanted to be him. And in the passages that we've just read, there's a really simple instruction from Jesus to come and follow him. And this is the most basic and key part of this instruction. It was just to, to go with him, to spend time with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had a crush on someone or there's somebody um, who you really, really want to be friends with, who you've met, and, and suddenly they ask for your number and arrange to meet up with you. It's a, it's a really good feeling, isn't it, when that first happens. It's that initial invite that gets everything else going. And Jesus, in our first passage, he sees Simon and Andrew busy fishing on the lake and he calls to them to come and follow him. And it says that they left their nets, they left everything that they were doing, They stopped and they took him up on his invitation of being with him. Again, in the second passage that we read, Jesus is walking along and he sees this guy Levi sat at the tax collector's booth and he throws out this invitation of come follow me and it says that Levi just got up and went with him. And this was these these people, these disciples' first steps in discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. They, They decided to go. How does this work for us now? We're not physically with Jesus I'm not Peter or James or John I can't physically see Jesus but we can be with Jesus we've been given the Holy Spirit as our means to connect with God I became a Christian when I was 14 after having a really exciting experience of the presence of God I'd had very little concept um, of the Holy Spirit and the fact that God could actually be interacted with in a real way And one Sunday, I was just stood in my pew at church, and I met with God really, really powerfully. I felt physically as though God was untying some knots in my stomach. I felt as though someone was pouring buckets of water um, from my head down to my toes. And I felt pure joy, peace, and security. And I remember leaving the church building that evening and looking out the car window on the way home and looking at the pavement and thinking, all this time I've wondered, is this actually real? Is this a real thing? And now I know he's as real as the pavement in front of me. And in the book of John, Jesus promises his disciples that even after he's gone physically, he will be with them still. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Recently here in our evening service, 
We've just finished a fantastic series that Tom did for us on Song of Songs that you've got to go and listen to on the podcast if you've missed it. Um, And Tom preached to us about the intimate relationship that God desperately wants to have with each of us, that he's the lover of our souls. We have a God who doesn't, in his holiness, just tolerate us or put up with us, Um, but actually he burns with passion for us, so much so that he sent his one and only son to die for us in our place and then left us this Holy Spirit so that we could be connected to him, stay connected to him and in relationship with him all the time. So our first step in becoming true disciples is that we need to develop a relationship with the Spirit of Jesus or the Holy Spirit. Just like these rabbis and apprentices of Jesus' time, we need constant connection and full immersion if we want to begin to morph into who Jesus Jesus was on earth. We need to begin to practice living in this constant state of awareness of connection to the Holy Spirit. Now, these sound like big words, but put really simply... It just means we need to begin practicing um, being in two places at once. So eating your breakfast at the beginning of the day, but aware of the presence of God sat with you. On the bus to uni or to work, but aware of the presence of God sat with you. Responding to emails, but aware of the presence of God. In a conversation with a friend or out for dinner on the curry mile, in the presence of God. Walking around a museum in the presence of God. In a difficult phone conversation in the presence of God. The primary goal of our apprenticeship to Jesus is to live in this constant state of awareness of connection to the Holy Spirit. This is the baseline for all of it. So Jesus has given us the Holy Spirit with an instruction to be with him. And Jesus calls this in John 15, abiding. Paul has called this prayer without ceasing. It's all over the Bible. But it isn't easy This takes a lifetime of practice, especially in the motion and chaos and noise of the age that we live in. This is harder than it's ever been. And we see an example of somebody practicing this being present with Jesus against the social norm, against the odds, in the book of Luke as well. Mary and Martha were two sisters who were hosting Jesus in their home. And the writer of Luke explains that Mary sat at the master's feet and listened to his teaching. And then later on, he explains that that Martha, on the other hand, was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to Jesus and basically said to him, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Can't you tell her to help me? And Jesus replies to Martha, saying, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. So Martha here is protesting to Jesus in actually quite a sassy way, saying, Lord, don't you care? Like This sounds like one of those classic millennial sister relationships where one of the sisters goes to the parent. It's like, don't you care? She's doing this. But she's getting really, really worked up here because Mary is totally defying a social norm and it's probably quite scary for her. Mary's sitting here at the master's feet, which was a privilege reserved only for men at this time. And incredibly, Jesus is letting it happen. In the first century, to sit at the feet of a master or a teacher implied a teacher-student relationship. So Mary was essentially breaking the status quo, the normal code of conduct for women at this time, all for the sake of getting to be with Jesus. And we can break our societal norm of hurry and busyness too by making space for Jesus in our days. For me, I get Mondays off, and my favourite time I have with God is on a Monday, um, and if it's not raining, I normally go to Fletcher Moss, and I go sit down, I normally just sit and stare into space. And sometimes it takes me a little while. But if I can still my mind 
enough before God, I can really expect to hear from God on those mornings. And that is not to say that there's anything particularly spiritual about Fletcher Moss Park, although it is great. (laughs) And God doesn't only speak on Mondays, but there is something about having time dedicated to slowing yourself down, sitting quietly, that allows us to really lean in to hear what God is saying to us. So what does it look like for you to be with Jesus, to intentionally make time for Jesus? Last Sunday, Beth mentioned how sometimes the idea of quiet time can actually become a bit of a laborious chore that we feel we must do in order to qualify ourselves as Christians. And don't get me wrong, spending any time with Jesus, whether it's quiet or not, is going to be good for you. But just like how we all have different personalities or learning styles, there are so many different ways in which we can be with Jesus. Maybe for you, you like to get outside, be surrounded by nature, and that helps you bring yourself in touch with God's presence. Maybe it's um, when you're doing something creative, like writing or painting or sewing. For me, it's singing. I love singing worship songs to God. That really helps just prepare my heart to listen to what God wants to say to me. I recently read a fantastic book by Trish Harrison Warren called Liturgy of the Ordinary, and she talks in her book about how we can be with Jesus in the way that we make our bed in the morning, in the way we brush our teeth or make our lunch. This sounds really weird, but she said it's a practice, especially in the time of hurry that we live in, a practice that we have to be really diligent about. Similarly, Dallas Willard wrote, the first and most most basic thing that we can and must do is keep God before our minds. So this first step that we take in our apprenticeship to Jesus is we take him up on his offer of following by simply being with him. And our second step that we take in apprenticeship to Jesus is we become like Jesus. And as I was looking over um, the notes for the, this, this sermon um, this week, I've decided this is probably one of my favourite, most hilarious sermon points I've ever seen. Just quite simply, be like Jesus. Um, and if I had the short answer on how everyone here could do this right now, um, I would share it with you. But it's not that simple. It's a process. And if we are to be true apprentices of Jesus, and we're following this student teacher, um, this student rabbi blueprint of being with Jesus and now becoming like Jesus, this means we've got to change, right? How many of us here um, hear the instruction, be like Jesus, and we're like, yep, done, in the bag, easy? It's not many of us. Because for a lot of us, we don't need to just tweak our lives a little bit through kind of like self-help books and what have you. Most of us need a radical overhaul of our entire lives. And the word used in the New Testament for this kind of change, this level of change, is the word transformation. It says in 2 Corinthians, And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. Merriam-Webster defines transformation as a profound change in form from one stage to the next, as in the life history of an organism, as from the caterpillar to the butterfly. We need to be changed from the inside out. I don't know about you, but if I want to start to become like Jesus, that's the kind of huge transformation that I need. The good news is that Jesus promises to help us on our journey of transformation. In our first passage in Mark, where we saw Jesus promising Simon and Andrew to make them into fishers of men, we can see here that Jesus isn't saying to them, follow me, copy everything I do perfectly, and just be like me. He actually says to them, follow me, and I will make you into fishers of men. So we're not left to our own devices to figure it all out ourselves and make sure that we're doing everything perfectly and by the book. 
Jesus left us his Holy Spirit so that as we take these small steps of obedience in following him, he promises that he is forming us and moulding us along the way. Nearly a year ago, Connor and I got married, and it's a really classic and cliche thing to say, but I've learned a lot about the state of my heart through being married so far. I've learned how inherently selfish I can be, and that I can be quite lazy and pretty slow to forgive um, most of the time. And about six months ago, I read a book that's been floating around church and in, in conversations quite a lot called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Pete Scazzaro. And there's this one chapter that I was reading one Saturday afternoon where you're encouraged to basically rate how you're doing in various different areas of your life in terms of emotional health, spirituality, like your devotion time to Jesus, your reactions to things, how you've dealt with trauma from the past and various other issues and tendencies that we have as humans. So just some light Saturday reading for me. I remember reading this chapter on this particular Saturday and feeling this quiet call out from God. It wasn't anything super loud or condemning or angry. It was just this really gentle nudge that said, yep, there's a lot of stuff here that you need to change, but we can do it together. And it was as though God was kind of laying before me a lot of issues that I had, but it actually didn't sink me into despair. It actually spurred me on. And of course, we all have this call from God. We all need to be renewed and transformed. But I think sometimes we can reach this stage in our, in our faith, and I've definitely been there a few times, and perhaps if some of us here have been Christians for a little while, where we just begin to get used to some of our habits and we stop making a conscious effort to become more like Jesus because it's tough. But every so often, God will give us this little shake and ask us that question, what trajectory are you on? Because the reality is we're all disciples of somebody or something. We're all being formed into the image of something. Are you on track to becoming more like Jesus or more like something or someone else? And we're after way more than just behaviour modification. We want inward transformation from the heart. I want to become the kind of person who finds it easier to think the best of people rather than gossip about them or put them down or share information that isn't mine to share. I want to become the kind of person who has just a, a disposition of trusting in God's goodness for my life in every single season, not just when I get the things I want or it necessarily feels like God is moving. To sum it up, I want total transformation, but it's going to take practice. It won't just happen in a day or a month or a year. We have to partner with God and with our community to become our true selves. And when we start this journey, this process that the Bible calls sanctification, we will start to move on to the third part of our apprenticeship to Jesus, which is we will do what Jesus did. The whole point of apprenticeship in the first century Um, It wasn't to live as an apprentice glued to your master's side forever. It was to carry on your master's work. A few years ago, I would have described myself as someone who strongly disliked cooking. Um, I've always loved eating, but cooking was just never really my thing. Um, And then I lived with Beth for a few years, and I took on the role of sous chef in our kitchen. And I was watching and kind of began to learn about things like seasoning and timings and Basically, that you should always put more garlic in a recipe than it actually says. Amen. Yeah. (laughs) And then eventually, when I moved out, I realized it was just me and the kitchen. No offense. Um, And for the first time ever, I put all those those tactics and tips and things that I'd learned from Beth into practice. And I actually found myself thriving. Um, And I was able to deviate from recipes. I felt more confident in how to make something taste better um, if it had gone south. 
I had been an apprentice of a cookery rabbi, um, and now I was doing it myself. I was quite happy with that one. Um, and as weird as this analogy is, this does mirror our apprenticeship to Jesus, that we're not just called to sit inside and think about God. Um, we're called to go out and practice it, knowing that the Holy Spirit goes with us. Jesus' role wasn't just to teach the Bible. It was to usher in the kingdom of God on earth. So our role as disciples of Jesus isn't just to quote the Bible at people, but it's actually to join up with what Jesus was on about in the world. So things like preaching the gospel, healing people, casting out demons, eating and drinking with people who are far from God, doing justice, peacemaking, praying, prophesying, and standing up against religious and political corruption. Following Jesus makes the most sense when it becomes your whole life. That doesn't now mean that you need to quit your job and start working for church. You can do what Jesus did and live wholeheartedly for him as a teacher, as an estate agent, social worker, or a parent. You can study for the glory of God. We have so many stories that we hear from, um, from various people in our church who work in different kinds of jobs and study different types of degrees where they see God moving where they see the Holy Spirit partnering with them and using them to bring a little bit of who God is into those workspaces. Jesus left us with this mandate to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of all nations. There is absolutely nothing passive about that leaving statement. So what are some of the things that you notice that you care about at the moment? Maybe there's um, someone specific in your workplace who's going through a hard time at the moment. Maybe it's a vulnerable child that you're working with that the world has seemingly forgotten about, but Jesus hasn't. Maybe there's an overwhelming gossip culture in your workplace, and there's an opportunity to represent the love of God. Maybe there's a justice issue that you care about or a people group. Jesus went to the cross for us in our place so that we would be able to live life in all of its fullness. And this is it. Living a life that reflects who Jesus is, is that abundant life. Jesus suffered at the hands of people who, could so, who he could so easily have proven wrong, all for our sake. He took on the weight of our punishment so that we wouldn't have to bear that guilt ourselves. So we are completely off the hook. We're given this mandate and this instruction from God to follow him. And it comes with this gift of freedom, of life in all its fullness. So following Jesus isn't meant to be this burden that weighs really heavy on us. It's not meant to be a threat that if you don't do this perfectly, then you're out, basically. It's a promise of an abundant life. It's a promise of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives.